All right. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I've really been eagerly anticipating this opportunity to preach this series, Let There Be Light, because it begins our season of focused prayer and generosity for the Light Project, this incredible opportunity God has given us to actually construct a visible light on the 8 freeway for the city, the nation, the nations of the world, and for generations. So we're excited to jump in. And on the topic of light, I don't think you fully appreciate light unless you've been trapped in darkness. And I had that kind of experience years ago. I was on a mission trip in the Philippines, and we went on this hike with our Filipino friends, and it culminated in coming to the entrance to this big cave. Some of you have heard the story before. And we should have been tipped off that we shouldn't go in when the cave was actually barred off on front. And they said, we're going in. I thought, oh, good. They brought the key. They didn't bring the key. We squeezed ourselves through. I'm a little bigger than the average Filipino. And uh, I had to like suck in my tummy, get through the bars. And then they didn't have flashlights. They had big wooden pieces of, you know, log with wrapped kerosene dipped cloth. We were like in Indiana Jones all of a sudden. And we start going deep into a cave one hour and a half in, we found ourselves in a squeeze canal. And I am on my hands and knees going with like no space on either side. Some of you are already kind of panicking. And, and then we come to an end and you have to shimmy up this little chute up above you. The light disappears. And as I'm waiting for people, I'm in pitch darkness not able to go forward, not even able to go back. I, I've never visited hell before, <laughs> but, but I can't imagine it being much different than in the belly of the earth, not being able to move in complete darkness and starting to panic. And I actually started a lot of fears in my life. And I can just tell you, I was never more happy to come back out into the sunlight than in that moment. You know, the fear of the dark is actually one of the most common fears known to man. It's called nyctophobia, nyctophobia. And I, I think that Sigmund Freud, which I'm not a big fan of, by the way, but I was a psychology major for one semester. <laughs> and I had to study him. And, and he said something about the fear of the dark, which I think is very fitting. He said that it's actually a manifestation of separation anxiety disorder. And that our greatest fear as humans is to be left alone. And so in the dark, we feel like there's no one to help us, to save us. And I think that's why it's so powerful when we hear this phrase, Jesus is the light of the world. Because when Jesus breaks into our life, he literally transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Listen to this powerful word in John chapter 1 verse four, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Can I tell you whatever darkness you're in today, it's not being overcome by Jesus. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to testify as a witness to the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light through the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. From the beginning, this church has been all about Jesus. And it will always be about Jesus. And Jesus is the light of the world. But you know, the word became flesh and that flesh actually muted the light of Jesus. Because we think oftentimes when we hear Jesus is the light of the world, that that's some cool poetic metaphor, some nice little phrase. Can I tell you, it's actually a reality. Like Jesus actually is light. And because he set aside his glory and he actually became flesh like you and me, we just couldn't see it. But there are times in Scripture where he lifts that veil from our eyes and he unmasks his glory from the muted human flesh. And when he does, it's astounding. And I want to actually give you four evidences that Jesus, when you truly see him, is actually light. Evidence number one, the Mount of Transfiguration. What is this? It's a story where Jesus takes several of his close friends up on a mountaintop, and it says this, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Listen to this. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Jesus had this moment where he actually let his friends see what he really looked like. And what happened? It says, when the disciples heard this, they heard, they saw the light, they heard the voice of God. It says, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Evidence number two. Evidence number two. John's encounter with Jesus in Revelation. This is the same John. He's now an older man. He's in exile on the island of Patmos. And this is what happens. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one, someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were blazing like fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. Do you see Jesus with his face shining like the sun? And I love that John doesn't say on a cloudy day. He says in all its brilliance. And when he sees them, he can only do one thing, which is fall on his face as though dead. So many times when we think about Jesus, we think about the little painting we saw where Jesus is holding a little sheep in a meadow. And we say, oh, sweet Jesus. And can I just tell you, if you really saw Jesus, you would be terrified and you would be on the ground, on your face, shaking uncontrollably. 
That's who Jesus is. Evidence number three. We think, well, this is just a New Testament phenomenon. No, actually, Jesus has been around since the beginning. He created the world, and here's Ezekiel's encounter. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. That's a beautiful blue stone. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. What appeared to be his waist up, he looked like, I'm saying it again, it's so good, as full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, getting predictable. And I heard the voice of one speaking to me. We're fascinated by science fiction movies and superheroes and someone turns into fire and you're like, that's so cool, but it's so fake. Can I tell you, actually, it's just a cheap fabrication of what Jesus really is. Evidence four, last chapter of the last book of the Bible. You gotta catch this. This is the end of created history on earth. They will see his face. That is the face of Jesus. And his name will be on their foreheads. That's going to make a lot of San Diegans really excited because people are really into tattoos here. And now everyone gets a tattoo on their forehead. (laughs) And night will be no more. There will be no more darkness. Why? Because they will need no light of lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Some interesting facts about the sun. The sun is 1.3 million times the size of the earth. Okay, have you ever climbed up a mountain, and you're looking at this massive view, and you realize, I'm so small. Have you ever had that experience? And you're like, I can see forever. Like, compared to this mountain, I am so small. And then you realize this is just one mountain in a mountain chain of thousands of mountains. And I am only seeing, you know, maybe like 20 to 30 miles. And I realize I am so small in comparison to this massive earth. And then you take that massive earth and you multiply it, not by 100 times, not by 1,000 times, not by 100,000 times. It's 1.3 million times bigger is the sun. Wow, it's 330,000 times as dense. Do you know that the sun takes up 99.86% of the solar system? Wow. And then Jesus, his face will actually replace the sun because that's how brightly he shines. I mean, that really brought me a lot of peace this week because I think, wow, that sun is big. Like the sun is a big item. I, my, my kids and I were on the beach on Monday and there was this gorgeous sunset, but I have to tell my family, don't stare into the sun because it will actually burn your eyes. It's that powerful. Do you know that you serve a Lord that's more powerful than the sun? He's actually brighter than the sun. He actually put the sun in his place. Wow. Here's a fact about you. Do you know that you actually shine? One person does. 
<laughs> you are a bioluminescent being. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, you're a bioluminescent being. Uh, that the... Uh, <laughs> But here's the problem. See, it's through metabolic reactions that you emit light. So you just think, I was just eating a cheeseburger. No, you're actually shining. But it's 1,000 times, right? It's a 1,000 it's a times less than the naked eye can pick up. Here's my point. I believe that you were created to shine. But through the fall of man, it's been muted and you think, well, that's interesting. No, listen to this. The Bible says this, arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord shines upon you. And you think, oh, that's cool. You know, I, I, I'm shining because of the glory of God. Listen to this. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. I don't think anyone would disagree with me when I say this world is a dark place. You just have to turn on the news to see the pain, the genocide, the disease, the dissension, the destruction. But God's answer is his people arising and shining. And he says, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears on you and nations will come to your light and the brightness of your dawn. And so could it be that God has chosen to shine a light in the darkness by illuminating his people? And so I got a hold of this verse when I was in college and I started getting fascinated by this concept in the book of Corinthians because it says this, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit, this thought that if I will behold Jesus as I do that, it's not just good for me. It actually changes how I look and glory starts emanating from me. And you think, oh, well, maybe, but I think that's a metaphor, Robert. No, there's, let me give you an illustration. Do you know that if you go out in the sun today, if it gets sunny and you go out today and you just lay there and face the sun, that within about an hour, some of you will be bronze. Some of you like me would be bright red. But the sun, if you behold it, will actually change your physical appearance. First in the natural, but then in the spiritual. Do you know if you behold the sun, it will actually change your appearance? And my life was transformed because I encountered a young woman who had spent time with Jesus, focusing on him. So where she actually changed how she looked, she shined with the love and joy of God. And it wasn't because she looked like a 31-year-old Jewish carpenter. She had pale white skin and fluffy blonde hair, but she had been with Jesus and I could tell something is different about you. And I got a hold of this thought and I said, Lord Jesus, could it be that if I stare at you and I meet with you, you could actually change how I look, that actually my face could be a witnessing tool to a hurting and broken world. And then I saw something in Exodus and I thought, no way, like this could maybe even be literal. And could I actually ask that light 
comes from me. Like I'm illuminated by light. And you're like, now, now you're getting weird. And can I say, actually, now I'm just getting biblical. Because I want you to go with me to Exodus, to the story of Moses. Yeah, I just went there. Exodus 29, uh, 34, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain. Uh, the glory of God was coming on Mount Sinai. Like on earth, the glory of God was coming. And Moses went up to be with God. And it says that there he talked to him face to face and look what happens. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. That is cool. Like he had been in the glory of God and so the glory of God came on him and people were freaked out. And so I started praying this. We were, we were coming towards Halloween night years ago, and Halloween, one of the darkest nights of the year, and in my city where I was, in Austin, Texas, there's a street called Sixth Street, and it's basically like Bourbon Street in New Orleans. And on Halloween night, tens of thousands of people would converge to kind of have this parade, masquerade, reveling in darkness. They'd show up in their costumes. It'd be kind of just a drunken, crazy thing. And we said, that's the perfect place for Christians to go and shine a light for Jesus. So we went to worship and pray. And I started asking, Lord, would you actually let us shine with your light? I remember telling an, an older Christian guy, like, I'm praying that as we go into this dark night, we would actually shine. And he was like, that's weird. Um, and I said, no, no, I, I actually, like, it's in the Bible. I think we can believe for it. And what would happen next would be one of the greatest miracles that I've ever seen take place. We're walking down the street. Me and my friend Brian are leading the crew, but we're out ahead of him trying to get to our spot to see if we can circle up on this corner. And as we're walking, two women look at us and they go, whoa, what are you doing? What's going on? We said, what? And they go, there's a shining above your head. There's halos above your head. And we're like, oh. I said, it's the glory of Jesus. They went, ah, and ran off. I was like, that's not what I was hoping for. But can I tell you, that night, we circled up on the corner and people would leave their darkness and just start coming to the edges, asking what we're doing. And as we talked to them, we'd pray for them. And different ones gave their life to Jesus. In fact, one guy came up in the most hideous devil costume and gave his life to Jesus. We forever told the story. We forever told the story of my friend Billy who led the devil to the Lord. And that night we actually saw someone come out of darkness. A person came up blind. We prayed for them. And it was a medical verified healing of a blind person seeing. We'd hand them a, a business card on their way out of the church. They came back to the church after visiting their doctor. Their detached retinas had been reattached. And they came to give the praise report at the church that they could see. Can I just tell you that Jesus is light? And Jesus wants his people to shine.
And here's what I can't control. I can't control when you actually start glowing with his glory, but I can tell you that every person can be a light in this dark world. You are called to be a light to your friends, your neighbors, your classmates. And that's how this church started. We went to a, a, a dark part of San Diego. It was a few houses away from San Diego State, and there were just parties going on all around us. And one house was known for the biggest parties. But as we love people and we talked about Jesus, one by one, our neighbors started coming to the Lord. And then there was one last girl, and they said, actually, she'll never give her life to Jesus. And one day, she and her boyfriend, who was the captain of the state football team, said, we want to talk to you. And I thought, oh, they're going to be upset because we're ruining their party life. And they actually came in, and they said, we see something different about you. What is it? We said, it's Jesus. And right there, she gave her life to Jesus. We said, what would you think about your party house becoming an all-people's life group? And they said, sounds good. <laughs> and so we prayed and we started a life group in that house. And I'll never forget the first one, her brother, this, her name was Allie. Her boyfriend's name was Russell. They became a part of our church for many years, but her brother came. His name was Kyle. Kyle was a USD football player. He grew up without God, not going to church, but he came in and he heard the message of Jesus and he prayed and gave his life to Jesus. It was so awesome. I said, let's meet next week. We met for the next two weeks, but then I was sad, and you've probably seen this before, where on the third week, it was kind of like he got disinterested or busy, and we never got to meet again. Well, fast forward to 10 years later, I got a call from Russell, who's become a dear friend. We've walked together for a long time, and he said, Robert, I have bad news. Allie's father just died. Unexpectedly, he was young, he was in his early 60s, and we're having a funeral. And I said, well, I'll, I'll be there. And so I remember driving to the funeral. This is a week and a half ago thinking, who's going to do this funeral? This is a family that, that wasn't church going people. They had a little Catholic background. Will there be a priest there? Will it just be a secular funeral with people standing up and just sharing? And I don't know if you've been to a funeral where it's predominantly people that aren't Christians. It, it's, it's so much more painful. It's so much more heavy because there's not the assurance of heaven and the belief that of paradise and the love of Jesus. And so I'm walking up and you're just feeling that heaviness and I'm going, gosh, what's going to happen? And they call everyone together and I'll never forget as long as I live, who steps up to speak? It's Kyle, who 10 years later had given his life to Jesus, but I hadn't seen him. He steps up, now a grown man with a Bible in his hand. And as he steps up, out of the whole crowd, he looks straight at me and gives me this huge grin, kind of this grin of gratitude. And he starts preaching the gospel to a group of people who've probably never darkened the door of a church. And I start crying. <laughs> but I'm crying for a completely different reason because I'm going, God, that little light that was planted 10 years ago has now become a bright light to his family and his whole community. Oh, it was amazing. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing more satisfying than knowing your life has brought light into someone's dark world, and now they're being a light to their world. And I tell you, that's your calling, church. But some of you hear that story and you go, yeah, but you're a pastor. That's what you do. Can I just tell you that when a church gets a hold of this, it starts transforming a city. And we want to show you a video of some of the testimonies of what has happened in this church as different ones in this room have laid hold of that. 
you know, from the beginning of All People's Church, we had this desire to see the words of Jesus come to life in our midst. We wanted to see people in the midst of the greatest pains and trials and struggles and problems of their life find Jesus, experience his life-transforming power, be set free, and then be launched into their God-given destiny. And we've been privileged to have this front row seat to what Jesus is doing in people's lives. And we've been astounded by the life transformation we've seen. Uh, life before All People's Church was a life of a lot of partying, drinking, and unhealthy relationships. We've been separated now three times. I was so far down in a pit that the only way to look was up. So my life before All People's Church, um, it was, if I'm honest, it was a lonely life. I didn't know all that God had waiting for me. I think I was driven by fear anxiety, um, self-strength, but it wasn't a life of freedom at all. And it was a life full of hidden shame that I wasn't willing to confess, um, that I wasn't willing to be honest with. We came to All People's Church in 2016. Um, we were coming out of a one-year drug relapse. Our marriage was failing, and we were at risk of losing our kids. We were introduced to All People's Church. One of the reasons was because we were uh, going through an addiction. My sister said, I asked uh, somebody in the church to come to, um, to your home and pray for you. Is that okay? We were actually under the influence when you came to our house, and we were at our worst. Our whole relationship was I got caught um, in unfaithfulness, and I had only admitted to what she had found out about, and I was too terrified to tell her more was believing the lie that she wouldn't love me if she really knew who I was. And so the confession was not easy, and I knew that it was the right thing because God had began to convict me, knew that it was because he loved me and wanted to take it. He wanted to take away the weight and the pain. And I had a hard time with how fake our marriage had been up until that point. So I really had to like wrestle with God on that self-strength because I didn't know how to function. Yeah, and I knew that I would never have everything that God has for us in marriage um, and in life if I didn't trust Him. While it stung and I wanted to operate in that self-strength, once I relinquished control of that, um, then I was able to fully forgive. The second that he started praying for us, um, it really felt like it opened something up in our home. I started having visions of God. I saw it quite vividly, and I knew it was more than, you know, just a dream, and I just knew I wanted to know him more. And so as we got off the drugs, we just literally went straight from that lifestyle and dove right into the church. I remember the first time I visited the church, from the from the street to the parking lot to the ushers, I was met with love the whole time. And going from 
literally a week before that, thinking I was going to end up getting divorced, you know, to being in this church with all the love that's here, it was, it was an epiphany for me. And I just felt like the people embracing us here, it was like God's love. We hold hands a lot more, yeah. <laughs> which is good. Yeah. I think the turning point for me was actually on the um, All People's mission trip to Tijuana. Uh, during one of the teaching times, Robert talked about surrender. And it was in that moment, in that worship, where I, I just gave it my whole life to God. And I, I went into the front and I kneeled down and I, I said, God, like, I'm going to choose to believe that you're real and I'm giving you my whole life. Shortly after uh, getting plugged in and uh, really committing to the church, um, I got a, a, an injury. I, I got two fractures on my knee, a torn ACL and a torn LCL. It's, uh, this church is so beautiful and I love the fellowship. Everybody that would bump into me would literally take a second and pray on my knee. Shortly thereafter, um, I went to a follow-up with my doctor. When the doctor came in, he quickly stepped out, and I could hear him talking to the nurse, um, wondering if the results that he was holding in his hand were, were the ones for me. He came in, he said, I don't know who's on your side, who's praying for you, or what's going on, but uh, you have nothing but a sprain. The way God is using me is, uh, well, I'm all for it. If it had not been for All People's Church, our drug addiction would have destroyed our family. If it had not been for All People's Church, we would be divorced. If it had not have been for All People's Church, I wouldn't have learned to love unconditionally. If it had not been for All People's Church, I'd still be living a double life. If it hadn't been for All People's Church, we probably would have been divorced. If it had not been for All People's Church, I would not have a relationship with Jesus. He spoke out of Isaiah 55, where it says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come by and eat. We've only just scratched the surface of the hunger that I believe God was promising. There are these windows in our lives where we have an opportunity to do something, where we can be a part of something that's so much bigger. And in those moments, we've got to seize the opportunity. And this is one for our spiritual family like no other time in the 10 years from the planting of this church. Now is the time for us to act. Now is the time for us to sacrifice. Now is the time to seize this God moment that we've been given and partner with him to see something that will last for generations and impact nations. And I'm so excited for our whole spiritual family to get involved in this. Come on. Isn't that amazing? Seeing people's lives absolutely transformed, and all of them have a common ingredient, is that someone 
in this church reached out to them, whether it was the Carmona family saying we were in the midst of a, a drug addiction and someone came and visited our home and started praying for us. And in that moment, Jesus shined his light and they had a God encounter that would forever change them. And now they're with us every Sunday and all of them, including their kids, are serving us whether it was Brady and Julie, because you might say, gosh, I don't know if I could be bold enough to be a, a light in someone's home when they're in the midst of their drug addiction. But what about Brady and Julie who said we'd be divorced if it wasn't for this church? It was because someone just merely invited them to come on a Sunday. And after that, they said, do you want to sit down and have coffee? And they learned to get real and vulnerable. The church isn't about putting on a happy face, but it's about being real. And they got transformed. You say, gosh, I don't even know if I could invite someone. How about this? Could you stand in the parking lot and point to where you park your car? That's what Peggy said it changed her. She said, from the time I drove into the parking lot to the greeters, to the ushers, I was enveloped in love. Do you know that you just standing and looking at someone with the love and the eyes of Jesus can transform their life? That's how they were transformed. And now they're helping so many couples that are in crisis. And the last is Veronica. She shared about giving her life to Jesus. But do you know how she got into the church? She saw her brother's life get transformed. Do you know how her brother got into the church? He and his girlfriend were invited by a homeless alcoholic. <laughs> you know, you might say, I, I, I'm not worthy to invite someone. I'm not worthy to be a light. My life doesn't reflect it. You know, it's not about you. It's about the light of Jesus. And this guy had come in off the street in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his struggle with alcoholism, but he had received so much love and forgiveness that he accepted the life of Jesus and he couldn't help telling other people about this church where he found acceptance. And he invited one of them, and it started a succession. Do you know that he ended up dying in his alcoholism? But his legacy lasts in scores of people in this church through this family that's been transformed. Can I just tell you that God wants to use you to be a light? Do me a favor, reach in the seat in front of you to the right corner of that pocket of that seat. And if you're on the front row under you, there is a bracelet and it says light on it. And here's what I know. Every great team wears a uniform. And so in this season where we're running together, I want to ask you to take this bracelet and put it on. It's our gift to you. There are actually numerous. There are probably a couple bracelets in that, in that seat in front of you. It's for the next service. So don't take that one. Don't be tempted to steal while we're talking about light. And we can give you more for your family or friends. The kids are getting them in, children's, in the children's room. But here's why I want you to wear this. First of all, it's gonna let you be a light. If someone asks, you could say, I believe in Jesus. He's the light of the world. Secondly, you could tell them, why are you wearing it? Well, our church is building a facility on the 8 freeway to be a light. We'd love for you to get involved. But lastly, you're gonna look down and go, why am I wearing this bracelet again? And it's gonna remind you to pray. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples, right? The Bible says, unless the Lord builds a house, labors labor in vain. We wanna be a church where every person is praying and contending and sacrificing to see God's light come in our city, amen? Would you stand up with me? And so here's what I wanna ask you. Would you just close your eyes? This is the moment of, of commitment for today. If you would say in this next 
30 days. We're going on a 30-day journey. The next four Sundays after this, I want to ask you to make every effort to be here because we're on the spiritual journey as a family. Like never before, God's given us this opportunity to actually build a place to contain his light and to proclaim the light of Jesus. And we're believing that we're going to all advance into this together. And here's my question for you. Some of you have your eyes open, and I've asked you to close your eyes. If you'd be willing to say, I will join and commit to trying to pray every day. I'll pray every day that God will make me a light. I'll pray every day that God would make our church a light. And I'll pray every day that God would move in our hearts so that we could build a facility to be a light on the freeway for the whole city to see. If you'd be willing to pray every day for the next 30 days, I just want you to raise your hand. I just want you to raise your hand. Raise the hand that has that that bracelet on it. Raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. Father, I am asking that you'd give us grace. Lord, we thank you that you're the light of the world and we thank you that you're inviting us into that. And I thank you for a church that's so wholehearted and I pray that you'd give us grace to pray, to seek your face, to become a light and to build a light for you, Lord Jesus. We need you. Let's just finish by singing out this song, Let There Be Light, consecrating ourselves to the Lord for this amazing journey he has ascended.